Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey Life Church, I'm so glad that you're joining us again today. We're continuing on with our series called I'm Accountable. Um, and we're in week two of the series. Now, I'm guessing there's a lot of you that would like something to be different in your own life. Me. Uh, for example, some of you might be thrilled with the idea that this year you want to be healthier. Me. would like to have consistency in my exercise. I would love to lose some weight. Um, I know some of you, like my, my son, would actually like to pick up some weight. Um, hockey players, they want to be heavier. Um, some of you, maybe your goal would be to pay off some debt. You want to be, this would be a year where you really want to dive into the debt that you have. And maybe you're praying, um, God, I would like to have a better marriage. I want my marriage relationship to improve. I'm really going to work on my marriage. Maybe, maybe you're hoping to be, to, to be somebody who's going to be closer to God this year. And I'm guessing almost all of you, all of us, we have some area in our lives that we would like for them to be different this year. We want some change. And perhaps... You are somebody who have set goals. Maybe you've set up some New Year's resolutions for 2022. Uh, This is finally going to be the year where I'm going to accomplish something that I failed in in the past. This is going to be the year. Maybe you've started strong. But unfortunately, if you're like most people in the world, you're on day nine of your New Year's resolutions. And the problem is most people in the world on day nine fail. It's, we're not even two weeks in, and they've already forgotten the plans that they made for this year. Now, the question that I have, that I'm thinking that you might have also, why, why is it that so often we have really, 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 really good intentions? We know it's only going to be good for us. The change that we want to bring, we know it's going to be good, but we find it so difficult to make that change and have it last. What I want to do for the next three weeks is I want to look very specifically at how do we choose accountability because I'm accountable for my life. I am accountable for the decisions and the direction that my life is going. I am accountable. So how do I make this accountability that I feel and that I know that I have, how do I make it last and not just for a few weeks? So we're looking in James chapter 4. We have in James chapter 4, we have some people who open up their mouths and they started talking. And God has some thoughts about what they had to say. So James writes down. Now James is the brother of Jesus. And James, he has this complaint against them. And he says the following, verse 13. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and we will make a profit. Read it again. Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. So when he says come now, I want to translate that into our urban modern day language. He's basically saying, you've got to be kidding me. Is another way to put it is like, he's saying, come on, man. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. You see, the problem with these people that James is talking to, he wants us to understand because what these people have is they have a desire 
and a design for their future. Because that's what that scripture said, a desire and design for the future. But they have it independent of God. And so he wants to say to them, are you kidding me? Come on, man. Now, first of all, what I want to establish is that we have to understand that God encourages us to plan. The Bible is filled with planning. God is a planner. The Bible says he planned things before the creation of the world. God talks about his plan for our redemption, about Jesus Christ in Genesis, how he's going to defeat the enemy. He talks about the birth of Jesus throughout the Old Testament, 4,000 years of prophetic words that leads up to the birth of Christ, specific times, specific place. God is a planning God. And so God, who is a planner, encourages us, his people, to plan also. Jesus said in Luke 14, um, verse 34, uh, 32, first he says, What man goes into a battle who doesn't count the cost to make sure he has a plan for victory? You're not going to enter into a war without the resources you need to win that war or enter into a battle without knowing I've got everything I need to win the battle. You will plan for the battle. Verse 28 says, For which of you intending to build a tower, modern day, build a house, construct a business, build a factory, uh, build a barn. Which of you planning to build, intending to build a, a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? Let's figure out how much this is going to cost. Whether he has enough to finish it, because I can't start it if I can't finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begins to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So the point he is making is, it is necessary in terms of doing what is needed and thinking through what we ought to think through in light of where we hope to go in our future. We are to think towards what steps we need to take. Proverbs 6 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider his ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. He says the ants know how to plan. They know that winter is coming and they know that during the harvest time we have to build up storage of food for us so that we won't starve when winter is here. Proverbs 16, 9 says, A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16, 3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The point is, God, all throughout the Bible, encourages you and me to make plans for our lives. So as you go into this new year, hoping to be accountable, to watch the man, to watch the woman, to watch this person, to keep guard over yourself. You should go into this new year with a plan. How are you going to do that? And these people in James chapter 4, they had a plan. So what's the problem? Well, let's look at their plan. Their plan involved time, number one. He said, today or tomorrow, that's time. In fact, they didn't only say um, time for today and tomorrow. They also said a length of time. We will spend a year. So they planned ahead. They were very specific. Now, not only did their plan involve time, their plan involved location, because they said we will go to such and such a city in verse 13. So they not only had the timing of the plan, they had the location for the plan. So they've planned the location to carry out their plan. So not only do they have the time, they have the location, but they also planned the purpose because it goes on and it says, we will engage in business. 
So they had a plan and a program in mind. They were going to do some business. So let's look at the plan again. And James is talking to them. The plan involved time. The plan involved location. The plan involved purpose to engage in business. And the final thing is the plan involved outcome. Because it says in verse 13, and we will make a profit. So they were anticipating an outcome. They were going to say, we're going to make some money out of this deal. That's a good plan. I mean, nobody makes a business plan to go broke. None of us plan our lives to fail. Nobody makes a plan um, to go under. You make a business plan for it to be productive. And this is important in regards to how you approach accountability also. Some people have the wrong view in regards to accountability. I had many people say to me last week that the moment I said the words for the series, I'm accountable, they felt uncomfortable. Because here's the thing. It's a good thing to watch the man and the woman. People don't realize it. It's a good thing to keep God over yourself. It's a good thing because by watching the man and the woman, you are setting yourself up for an amazing life by guarding yourself. Because life is amazing with God in it. Accountability does not mean boring, lifeless, purposeless. So as you think about your new year and your accountability, I'm accountable. You're not planning to be miserable. I know some of you think that being Christians means we are miserable. We are not. You're not planning to be defeated. You're not planning for life to fall apart. That's not part of your plan. Because your plan, when you plan it, as a believer in Christ, is to be profitable. It's beneficial. It's helpful. It's desirable. You want something that's going to work for you, not against you. And so these people that James are talking about, they had a plan all worked out. The problem is not that they had a plan. But why then did James say to them, come on, man, are you kidding me? The problem was, that they were planning their lives independent from God. The problem was that they did not allow for divine providence. Let's review the meaning of providence. Providence is God's way of working things out in life. God is sovereign. We are not. Providence is God's movement that's out of our hands. These people had made a plan for a year without considering God's providential intervention into their plans. They didn't even consider God. Most of us, you and me, we've lived long enough to know that the world is rigged with disappointment. Like these people were planning their year, not thinking that anything can go wrong. And we know that the world is rigged with disappointment, that, that life oftentimes it, it, sometimes it has like a bad aftertaste in your mouth. And I'm not just talking about the lighter things like, like Lenny's losing in the foot fantasy football losses. Sorry, Ken. Yes, I know you feel disappointed that you didn't, didn't win, but that's not the losses that I'm talking about here. I'm talking about bigger disappointments. Like you didn't get the job that you planned to get. 
You planned for that specific job. You didn't get the scholarship that you worked so hard for. So what are you going to do now? Your marriage is not all sunshine and roses like you planned it and like you thought it was going to be while you were dating. And these people had a plan. But listen to the complaint, verse 14. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. This is James' complaint against their plan. In other words, you made a plan about tomorrow and you haven't been there yet. He says, you can't plan your life as though it will work out just like you planned it. He says, you are to plan with contingencies. You are to plan it, but don't plan it like you control it. Don't plan it like you are sovereign in relation to it. He says, come on, man. Don't talk about the future like you own it. Plan it, yes. Prepare for it, yes. But you're not guaranteed it. He says, you're talking about what, what you're going to do over a year from now. When you can't even talk about what's going to happen tomorrow. Because you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. And most of us have lived long enough to know that tomorrow can shatter the rest of your year. I'm just looking at, at some of these um, the kids that were supposed to play over Christmas in the World Juniors. I mean, you have kids that worked their whole lives to get to play in the World Juniors. And then the next morning, they get this announcement that the whole tournament is canceled. If one thing goes wrong tomorrow, it's bad enough. It could be deep enough. It could be long enough that your whole year is messed up. And we have experienced that. The Bible is full of planning. I don't want you to think that you, you have to plan. He says, but when you plan, don't plan like you control the elements. Only God does. He says in verse um, 15, instead is a word that he uses. Instead of talking like you're going to make it happen, that you're in final control of your life. He says, you ought to say, instead, you ought to say the following things. You ought to say, this is my plan. Four words. And I want you to say these words with me. If the Lord wills. This is my plan. If the Lord wills. We will live and we will do this and we will do that. If the Lord wills. I, I love the order here. I love the order. First of all, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be talking correctly. It's going to be us speaking correctly. When you plan, you're going to put a prefix and you or a suffix in it. If the Lord wills, this is what my plan is going to be. Lord, here is my plan. This is what I would like to happen with my life, my time, my resource. God, this is my desire for my family. This is my desire for my career, for my emotions, for my health, my mental health, my health of my marriage, my retirement, whatever. God, this is my plan. This is my plan if the Lord wills. In other words, allow God's space to adjust your plans. And throughout the Bible, we see it. We see God adjusting people's plans. Abram was told that he's going to be the father of many nations and he doesn't have a son yet. So he takes matters into his own hands. He makes his own plan and he has a child with uh, his slave. And to this day, those two sons that were born are still enemies. Moses made a plan for redeeming the Israelites. And his way of doing is, well, I'm just going to kill, a, kill an Egyptian shoulder, a soldier because he was hurting one of the slaves. 
It's not God's plan. God changes all of that. Gideon planned to overthrow the Midianites with a whole army full of men, thousands. And God said, no, no, I'm going to do it with 300. Saul planned for David to defeat Goliath by wearing his armor. David's like, no, you don't know who my God is. All I need is five stones. The disciples planned for Jesus to be king, to overthrow the Roman empire. And Jesus, no, I laid down my life. This is God's plan for the situation. God brings something that you didn't anticipate. But if you are locked into your will, your way, your plan, you will miss it because that's not how you planned it. And you will miss God because unless you allow God's providence, God's sovereignty into your plans, you will miss God's future for you. That's why the Bible says, commit your plans to the Lord so that he can make them his plans, his will. So we have to add these words to our thinking. For us to plan for this year, for your accountability, I'm accountable. I'm I'm going to set up a plan, a structure. I'm going to set up some guardrails. I'm going to set up a system for me, how I can be accountable. I want to be accountable. But, But God, I'm setting all of these up if it's your will, meaning you have the right to come in and bring change. So instead, you ought to say, so people ought to hear you say, this is what I want to do. If the Lord wills, Lord willing. And this should not just be a tagline. This is not just a religious line that you're going to say, because I've heard many people use that line. And for me, sometimes it feels like just a religious slogan that they're throwing out there. This is not a religious slogan. This is a relational line of submission to God saying, God, this is a lifeline for me. It's better for me to be in your plans and your ways than to do things my way. This is not a tagline. It's a lifeline. It's a relationship line. That line says, I've already given God permission to tweak this plan, to adjust my plans, and if necessary, reverse the plan. And it's not always pretty. And it involves sometimes things that you don't prefer or would choose. But if you are submitting your plans to His will, even those things are part of where He's taking you. And we've experienced this. We've experienced this many, many times in our lives. Sometimes in disappointments, like we've been disappointed in things that have happened. And then because we submitted to God, God comes in and says, hey, I know that was your way, but my way is different. Keep trusting me. Keep tr-. And if you don't trust him, those disappointments, they will weigh you down. But we have found that in those disappointments, we just go back to God and we proclaim, God, we trust in your will and in your ways. Emery's visa coming to Canada is probably for me one of the most significant Overwhelming examples that we've experienced in our lives. Short, quick story for those of you that don't know. So um, we've been here almost 17 years now. Um, Ermie had to get a visitor's visa to come to Canada. I was already in Canada. I came ahead of her. She was still busy shooting a drama series in South Africa. She needed a visitor's visa to enter the country. When I came, we sold our home. We sold our vehicles. um, We sold our business. Everything we, we had in South Africa, we sold. Um, So I was in Canada already. She didn't have a visitor's visa. She was supposed to fly out at 8 o'clock that evening. Um, So she went to the 
the embassy because she hasn't received a visitor's visa yet. And she goes to um, an appointment for an interview to find out how she can get a visa because she's supposed to fly that night. So she sits down in the interview and the person asks her, so do you have any property? No. Do you have any business? No. Do you have any, where's your husband? He's already there. So what's going to cause you to come back to South Africa? Well, nothing really. We're planning to stay there and serve the people of, of Canada. That's the plan that we have. And she said, well, I can't give you a visitor's visa because you're not coming back to the country. So your visitor's visa is denied. Now, I haven't seen her for six months. Um, we can't wait to be together again. Excited about her coming. She's very disappointed because she's supposed to fly at 8 o'clock that evening. We are not sure how she's going to get a visa right now. Now, when she went to the interview, she parked the vehicle outside on street parking. Now, in South Africa, parking um, is dangerous because there are a tremendous amount of criminals and they steal cars. So we have car guards that always watch our cars. So Emery got out of her vehicle to go into the interview. She was a little bit late. And she forgot her keys in a car. Now, because of the crime, what happens is our alarm systems work this way, that the car locks automatically after a few minutes. So by the time she finished the interview and she comes back to the car, she's now calling me and she gets to a car and she's crying and she's sad. I didn't get the visa. I don't know how I'm going to get you. Know, what are we going to do? And then I locked my keys in the car. I can't get into the car. What do I do now? And she's even more dis greatest disappointment I think we've experienced in a very long time because we anticipated everything just working like this, that she's just going to show up and everything will be perfect. So now she, she says, okay, I'll call you back. Now, she has to try to get into a car. So I said to her, okay, um, before she, she puts the phone on, I said, call the security guard, ask if he has somebody that can open the, the car for you. So she calls the security guard. He pulls out one of those long things that you can unlock a car with. Um, after a few minutes, eventually he unlocks the car. She gets into the car, gives him some money, thanks him. She calls me again. I'm in the car now, and what are we going to do? The next moment, she says to me, just, just hold a moment because somebody's knocking on my window. She rolls the window down, and it's the same agent that told her that she can't get her visitor's visa. He said, you know what? When you left, I felt that we should give you your visitor's visa. But I also said that if she's still here, I know it's meant to be. So providence, God's providence. Our misfortune, locked my keys in the car, caused Ermery to be in the parking area longer than what she was supposed to be in order for the counselor to come and tell her that she received the visa. She flew out that night. See, see, we sometimes, we get so disappointed because things don't work out exactly the way we want them to happen. But man, when we trust in God, when we know His will and He will make a way where there seems to be no way. That's why I love the book of Esther so much, where God's name is nowhere found in the book, but His fingerprint is all over it. And I feel God's fingerprint all over our lives also. You want God's fingerprint all over your life. The book of Esther is about, um, the whole book turns on this whole premise where the king could not fall asleep. God used insomnia. This is how amazing our God is. God used insomnia to save a nation. Because the king could not sleep. And he had somebody at night, he would lie in his bed, and he would somebody, he'd have him read books to him, read a book to try and make him sleepy. So he would just read him history books, names of people, like boring stuff. And when this guy was reading the book, because the king couldn't sleep, they came across a name, Mordecai, 
who had saved the king's life a few years ago. And the king said, who's this guy? Well, he's the guy who saved your life many years ago. Well, we ought to do something for that guy because he saved my life. And so now they decide to do something for Mordecai. The man that Haman, the king's second in command, was planning to kill, the king now wants to reward. And God intervened in his way. I'm telling you, we have to plan our lives. We have to plan for tomorrow. We have to plan for, the, for today, for a year. But with providence in mind that God has freedom to call the play. God has freedom to call the plays in my life. Now, let me tell you about the problem. Here's the problem which most of us will face. We're all going to face this. We all have faced it. And the problem is when my plans and God's plans clash. When your plans, what you plan for this year, you're planning, you've got it all down. And you know you should plan. And then you get real spiritual after you've kind of got your plan and you say, Lord, here's my plan for my job. Here's my plan for my health, God. Here's my plan for my career. Here's my plan for my relationship. Here's my plan. This is my plan. Here's my plan, Lord. You told me to plan. Here's my plan. You should plan. God, I've planned this thing because you told me to plan. And now out of nowhere, God changes it. He lets something happen to you, through you, in you, from you. And that's something that happens. It clashes with your plan. And I guarantee you that's going to happen. And the reason it's going to happen is because He knows tomorrow and you don't. And that's when, when you have to make the decision who you love. Am I going to be God over my life or is God going to be God over my life when He makes His will clear even if it's against my will? That's what God is calling us to because He's the only one that has all the data for tomorrow. You don't control your future. I don't control the future. God controls the future. I give Him a plan to work with and to adjust. You and I, we must allow God to be part of our plan. Give Him, do you have a plan? Have you formulated a plan? Now, if you haven't, I want to encourage you, go and do it. Then give Him a plan. Commit your plans to the Lord. Do not go into this year without a plan. Give God something to bless. Give God something to answer. Give Him a prayer request to respond to. The Bible says in James 4, you have not because you ask not. So give Him something specific to work with. And listen, be as specific as possible. But when you put a prefix after you've planned it, put a prefix or a suffix into it and make it part of your life. If this is your will, Father, because as good as this plan feels and as nice as it looks, I choose you over my plan. I want this plan. I desire this plan. I'm asking for you to bless this plan, but I want you more. I want your ways more. I submit my will to your plan. And if they clash, God, I choose you. 
In other words, God doesn't want us to plan independently from Him. He wants the right to change our plans. He wants to see our plans, but like a good architect, He's tweaking, adjusting the lines so that what we plan turn out to be the best plan that He had in mind for us. I'm accountable. You're accountable. We're accountable to plan. But we have to put that prefix and that suffix. Lord, if this is your will, then when things change, when they're not the same, I trust you. I trust your ways. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can trust your ways. You are good. We submit our plans to you. And, and Father, for those of us that have not made plans yet about how we're going to be accountable this year towards who we are in Christ Jesus, about being a Jesus follower, how we're going to set ourselves up, how we're going to formulate things around us that we will succeed. Father, I pray that you will stir up in us a passion and desire to do that. But then, Lord, to submit it to you. Say, Father, you know better. We trust your ways. I'm accountable, Lord. I pray your blessing over every person that listened to this message. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.